join you over there, Joe. One of the things we're going to actually just start with, it's, it's something very casual. Joe, go ahead and share what your work is that you're doing and what God has opened up for you within ministry. Yeah, first of all, uh, Travis, I, I would really like to uh, thank you for this opportunity that you've given me just by being here to be able to present what we're doing down here on the board. I'm humbled. I really am humbled to be able to do the work of the Lord. It's such a blessing, such a blessing. You know, who am I? I feel like Moses, you know, sometimes. Who, who am I? Right. But it's not about who I am. It's about who he is. He is the great I am. Right. So um, a few years ago, Travis and I were already working with our families on the border. We were in uh, ministry with children that didn't have Christian parents. I was led to work with those on both sides of the border, but Travis joined me. And so we were working in this mission. And at that point, the, the Lord called me one night. I was in prayer. And I wasn't sure about it. I felt, you know, you know, I felt at first as a sure lot about this one, you know, um, in Mexico. We had previously had some encounters w with, not, not directly with them, but one time me and my wife with my family were, were, um, blocked off on a road by, by a bus that was hijacked and they put it in the middle of the road. So you, you know, they blocked traffic so they can do a, you know, shooting somewhere else in 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 the city. And one time, I remember when my my children were very young, my two girls, eighteen and nineteen, we were blocked off by one of those buses, and my wife had to walk back across the border. We were very close to the border because she was afraid for the kids that there might be shooting. So we'd had some experiences with that. The the first mission that we had in was in, in a very dangerous area. I remember one time at Easter. This was at Easter time. We got there and the streets were completely deserted, completely deserted. And we discovered that they had made a shooting. There was a, there's a, there's a gun battle in that same area where we were at with, you know, in that, in that neighborhood where the children were uh, just prior to when we got there. And that's why it was silent. After a while, they all came out and we celebrated Easter. But um, we'd had encounters with those things, kind of things. So we were aware of what God was asking me to do. I think one of the hardest things for me to face, brother, was to tell my wife, you know, to let her know, you know, that I was going to go in and begin to talk to these people. I didn't speak much Spanish at the time. So again, I felt like Moses. <laughs> sure, he's talking to me here, right? I don't know a great deal of Spanish. But um, it took me a few months to, to pray up the courage, to be honest with you took me a few months. I prayed about it for a while. I even wrote a, a goodbye letter to my wife, <laughs> you know, just in case. And, um, you know, I told her, obviously, she, she was um, troubled about it at, at first. She's come to accept it now. and She's a part of the ministry, by the way. But I didn't know what I was... You just don't ask those questions openly. So I really didn't know where to go make contact. And I went to several points, uh, like a drug rehab center, finally when I had the strength to, to do this. And I finally went to a, a church uh, where I knew a pastor who had had some dealings with them. 
And we'd had a big day camp there for children. There were hundreds of children that came to that place. So I went there. I thought, I'll go there. And, and, and so I went there. And, and when I got there, the most amazing thing, the grass outside was all overgrown. They had a big field and a basketball court that they used for, for the summer camp. And the church was deserted. The pews were all over the place. You know, um, it was a complete wreck, this building. And so I was wondering what was going on. But then I noticed just to the side of the building, there was some youth hanging out there together. So I thought I'd go ask them some questions. Thankfully, I knew like a little bit of Spanish, but uh, there was uh, one uh, guy there his, um, and he spoke English very well. And so I began speaking with him and asked him about the church, what was going on, those kind of things. And after a while, I noticed that people were coming to buy drugs at this place and were leaving. So we're hanging out and there was always a party atmosphere there. I thought, well, this is it, isn't it, Lord? This is the point of contact that I was looking for. And I discovered those places are actually called point. In Spanish, it's punto. Punto, which means point. They call these places point where they sell uh, drugs. There's hundreds of them alone. They're all over the place. But this one was very active. And for the next two years, I got to know those guys. I went there, usually at nighttime, usually at nighttime, and started ministering to those boys again and again. At first, they thought that I was investigating them. You know, they thought I was investigating them because I would just stand around and hardly say a thing. I thought, what's this guy doing standing around here? So they thought I was investigating them. But after they got to know me, that they they realized, you know, what I was coming there for to, to minister to them about about the love of Jesus. So for two years, for two years, I went to that building once or twice a week. And there's a lot of stories I can tell about that. But finally, that boy, he moved to another punto for a while. And so I followed him there. I actually found about four different puntos that I was going to. Uh, where they were buying and selling drugs. And he he moved to this new one. So I followed him and started ministering to the people there. After about three years, I'm still there. I'm still there ministering to them. We're able to minister to people who are coming and buying and minister to those who are selling, ministering even to the guys with the guns. You know, occasionally they'll come by or those that are dropping off the drugs and picking up the money and those kind of things. So you know, I was able to minister to there. But but one night, somebody came by who was actually buying crack. They sell three different types of drug there. There's, they sell malta, which is uh, marijuana. They sell cocaina, which is cocaine. Um, that's very expensive for them. Or poor man's cocaine, which is crack, la piedra, the, the rock, they call it. Um, the, there's three different drugs that they sell there. And he was coming to buy crack. And, and, and he was very impressed with what I was doing. And so he said to me, he said, I, I've, I've got a mother and she has a salon. Salons are big rooms that they use for quinceañeras and for, you know, celebrations after weddings and such. So I first said, I didn't believe him, you know, but he came back a week later. He said, I've got a salon. I'd like you to use a salon for, for, for a mission. And so I said, okay, let's go to, go to your mother's house. I went over to his mother's house and sure enough, she was ready to let us use a salon. So God provided a building for us to begin to use as a mission. And then we actually moved to another place, which is right spank in the middle of that neighborhood where they sell drugs. In fact, 
we have a Roman Catholic church on one side and we have the Punto on the other side and we evangelize both. Once you get to know the Roman Catholic church over there, they need Jesus. Trust me. Um, those two are partners in crime, by the way. I can say that with absolute surety. So, you know, we were put right into the middle of that neighborhood where, where that Punto was within a stone's throw of the punto itself and all of those guys are, are well acquainted with us and where we are so listen to how this takes place because again as, as we go through these testimonies and things our, our heart is is for you guys joe and i we know what god intends for us and we'll be faithful we're going to continue by his grace and, and mercies yet i know there's many as well who desire to pursue the lord Likewise, where, where you're at, or maybe in other areas that you yet don't know. And I had one man ask me once, he says, how does, how does something like this even begin? And well, the answer is, well, God does it, right? And we know this. He, he's, he's the author. He's the perfecter. He, he's, he's the sustainer. And in many ways, that declaration is, is like, well, how well, my wife does this a lot with science. Is she in here? She, she's not even in here. That's too bad. <laughs> you know, the kids will have a question and she'll say, well, God, God designed it that way. But when you get into the details, it's incredible how God works it all together. And so everything you will hear, it's under the orchestration of our, of our, of our Lord, our God. When as Job began to wrestle what God put on his heart, he, he shared how he knows. Well, I, I realize what this is. When God spoke to him, he knew immediately. And speak into a little bit on this. Was your first response, wow, this is awesome, Lord, I'm ready to go? Or share a bit on that in, in the sense of what you're feeling, what you're thinking. You, you, you mentioned, hey, I, I had to pray for the courage. Yeah, I, I was I was called a, a few years earlier. I remember the first time I was called and I went to minister to the guys who were selling illegal gasoline on the side of the road, you know, and I, I managed to talk to a few of those and I thought, you know, uh, there was a new mayor that, that came into town and she was uh, quite, um, she ordered the military to shoot at the guys that were selling illegal uh, gasoline on the, the side of the road. So that shut down that business real fast. And so I thought, you know, and this is probably wishful thinking on my part. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Job done, right? But the Lord came back and then gave me that word again a, a year or so later. And I could see that this was not just a temporary thing. This was not just a temporary thing. This is something that God wanted me to, to give my life to, so to speak. And so, yeah, there was, there was a, few, a few months there. I remember some of my family came over to see me um, they didn't actually know about it at that time you know and I was thinking oh, this is probably the goodbye you know what I mean this is a goodbye because I didn't really know what I was going to face I didn't know what was going to happen when, when I when I put that foot forward in faith and so and so I went through a period of, of difficulty uh, that there's a, in a wrestling that took 
place. But I've noticed one thing, Travis, is that when I put that foot forward in faith, that God gives me the strength that is needed for whatever he has called me to. He gives me the strength. And when I've done that, I, I've, I've talked, as I said before, with the guys with the guns. I mean, they, they came just recently to the Punto by themselves and, and that, you know, they're sitting in there with a, I, I'm, I'm not a specialist on those kind of things, but they're big. <laughs> I can say that they were big guns. If as soon as I make that step towards the car, you know, I just feel his strength with me, his presence with me. And it's just like, God's calling me to do this. He's with me. And this is almost like, I'm just put my, I just put myself into the hands of God at that point. That's the way I see it. I'm just putting myself into his hands. You see? And then I just feel such as, almost as if he carries me at that point. You see, we must be willing to make that first step when he calls us. But then it's begin, we've, it's then we begin to feel his strength. You know, whatever God calls to you, he'll be with you. He'll be with you, right? He'll be with you through the whole thing. So I hope that answers your, your question. So the ministry takes place now. At, at, there's, there's a regular punto in, in which is ministered at. Uh, there's a church. God has raised up a church uh, in front of this punto. Let's delve into September, September 2nd, and begin to set the stage for what happened that night. Well, on that particular night, uh, or I think a bit earlier than that, I was talking to Travis because just down the street from where I live in Mexico, I have an apartment over there. There's been a lot of activity a lot of activity. I've, I've driven past there a few times, and, and there's the guys with the guns. I'll just refer them to that way. The guys with the guns. One time, it actually stopped, and I, I had approached them. I got out of my car, and I began to talk to them. They, they mocked some of the things that I said, but the, the guy who was in charge of them was, 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 was kind enough to let me preach to them a little bit, so I was able to preach to them. And Two or three times, I've been able to do this. And so, when Travis, when Travis came, I asked him a question. I asked him a question. I said, Travis, if we see the guys with the guns, would you get out the car with me and talk with them? And I really appreciate Travis because that question I could see hit him hard at first. And he wasn't going to give a straight answer. It's not something you're going to say, yes, let's go, right? You know. And obviously, he had prayed about that because on that particular night, we had an event that was canceled. And so we decided to go to the Punto and we went that way. It was, it's an old abandoned house that's just down the street uh, where, where they're sitting outside. And uh, we went past that house and there was a guy that had waved us past with a gun, you know. And so I looked at Travis again and I said to Travis, are you willing to stop? this time and go back and and talk to them and obviously he had prayed about it and he was he was ready to go and i don't want to put travis on a pedestal here i really don't because travis knows this as well as i do it's the strength of the lord in us it's the strength of the lord once you make that step but travis is one of the few people i know that has been willing to follow me i've talked to people about the puntos and, and a lot of people won't get involved in it even in mexico it's it's it's, it's a place where christ is not being named in not being preached is at puntos when I, I remember there was a lady once i went to a church and she heard about what she i was doing she said wow 
That's incredible. I've been praying and praying for somebody to go to the puntos and preach the gospel. And it's amazing thing. Once in a while, God gives us those encounters, doesn't it? It's a wonderful thing that here was a woman I didn't even know who had been praying for somebody to go to the puntos. And it was God that had called me and he could have called me because of her prayer. You see what I'm saying? Incredible, isn't it? Incredible thing. But on that particular night, it, uh, Travis was, was was willing to get out to and follow. That was that was the next. And let me let me just share a bit on on how how God's placed me within what's taking place on the border. So my family and I, my wife and I, we've been missionaries. I don't even know how long now. Eleven years, twelve years. I think we should quit counting. But 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 likewise, the the events and even a lot of this ministry that that's taking place, God's. God's prepared myself and my wife and my family for it as well. We we oftentimes it's easy to to forget about the family that carries a lot of the burden in this kind of ministry. Joe's family, my family, because they they turn us over to the Lord, in which we're sent out. And one thing over the years, we 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 went into Mexico. Our first five years of ministry was in Mexico. I think the first month on the ground, we were dealing with a ransom situation with one of our churches. And and I quickly found myself going to minister into that situation, and 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 for a new a new guy on the ground, I was pretty green looking back on it as far as my understanding of the Lord in the sense of of ministering in these kind this kind of violence and and difficulties. But the Lord began began growing me in this, and and so much of our early time in ministry. We had instances with them in which we did have opportunities to minister, but I lacked, I lacked love. I, I lacked the compassion I have for them now. And a lot of it was is because in the missions we had, they were killing. They'd kill the people we're ministering to. And it wears on you. Because you see a mom weeping over the loss of her daughter and a wife and kids disappearing, and it's, it's chronic. It's chronic, and, and this continues yet today. And over the years, it just got to the point I, 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 I hated that. And it's tough because you want it to stop. And, and there's a tendency sometimes we, we, we think we have to make things stop. Well, we have to stop evil. The, it's not the Christian's job to stop evil. It, we, we don't have that power. But we proclaim Christ in which will begin to transform a life. When Joe first talked about going into Mexico, my, my, my immediate thought, to be honest, Joe, I, I, I'm, I, said, I thought to myself, well, you're not going to have any trouble finding them. They're everywhere. I went home that time. I began praying for Joe, and I, I prayed as well, Lord, should I go with him? And the Spirit plainly said no. And so much of what Joe went through early on was was alone. But in many ways, I, I kind of see how events played out in the timing of things in which it was three years later, maybe not even that long, but it was a period of time later, a few years later, you invited me to come in, you encouraged me to come in. I went home and prayed, and, and this time the Lord didn't say no, and that was enough for me. And so I went. I, I felt I should go, but I didn't necessarily hear the Lord say yes. But because he didn't say no, I went in. And what he's been showing me is, is love. The, the men that I 
hated and wanted nothing to do with, I, I now see him enslaved. I see him imprisoned. Not all that are in the organization are lost. I, I believe firmly Christ is going to reach bosses and managers and runners and sellers and, and all these different men. And so my first time in, I'm at the Punto, and this, this man comes running across the road up to me, and he's, he's just desperation in his eyes, and he just he, he said, I, I have a drug problem. And at this time, um, many kind of gathered around the Punto, and they would wait for the drugs to come in. And so this Jorge was the guy's name, and we ministered to him. And when the drugs came in, the last thing I said to him is I told him, like, Jorge, don't go. Repent and turn from this. He didn't. He went and he got his drugs, and I haven't seen him since. And so my heart is deeply burdened for those that are enslaved in this world. And it's incredible that God has opened up the doors that he has. That being said, understand as well, with what is taking place, God has prepared and ordained all of this. Let me just say something here, Travis, before, before you get on to that, because it's an interesting situation that you might not have known about. But a few weeks ago, I was at the rehabilitation center. It's a lockdown facility. And so you have a lot of these, these types. They're, they're covered in tattoos, some of them from head to toe. That's a giveaway in Mexico. When you see people like that, usually they might be involved in those kind of things. You know, I, I was preaching in this, it's a lockdown. I was preaching in this facility and you know there was i did an altar call afterwards and and several of them came up most most of the guys come up it's, it's amazing these 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 guys you know i i have such a love for these guys i can't understand that because my background is nothing compared to that it's you know it's, it's completely different but there was a guy that came forward um for some reason the lord had put this man upon my heart you know and so i was just led to just go up to him and just to hold him, just to hold him like this. And so I did that. I went and held him. And he, he held on to me just so tight as if nobody in his life had done that before, had done that before. And I, I just held on to him for a while. And then he got up and gave a testimony afterwards. And he said, I felt such peace when the pastor held me. You know, I think it was the same guy. You know, he, he didn't believe. He said, he said, you don't know what I've done. Obviously, you don't know what I've done. He's probably murdered people. He said, you don't know. I didn't think that God could forgive me. I didn't think that God could forgive me, you know? And there was something in that physical contact. I mean, I, I don't believe we hug people into the kingdom. Don't get me wrong, right? Don't get me, me wrong. But, but there was something in that, that that finally he could see, wait a minute, here is this guy, it's a completely different walk of life than me, and he's holding me like a father would hold his son. Like a father, like the prodigal father held his son. You know, and he said, I felt such peace at that time. And I think maybe in that moment, he realized, yes, God does love. 
He can forgive me. He can forgive me for what I've done. It's possible. It's possible. You know, and that, that, that really spoke to me. So I thought I'd just throw that in, Travis. So on that night, on September 2nd, yeah, we were scheduled to preach at a rehab center. And we showed up, and there was a misunderstanding of the time. Yeah, it was immediately when I came in, you, you brought up the armed men, and, and you'd asked me that. And so it's something that we began praying on. And, and even prior to this, we've been praying on God opening more doors. So they had a hasty checkpoint set up on the road. And as we were going to the Punto that evening to minister there, a group of them was, was stopping vehicles and searching something. But they were letting vehicles through, and they, they waved us through without any trouble. I don't think anybody would have faulted us to just keep driving. In many ways, I bet there's those that think it was absolutely stupid to stop. You're careless with your life. You have kids. You have a wife. Why would you do that? And when Joe asked that question, should we get out? I prayed quick prayer, Lord, should we get out? And the Lord didn't say no. He didn't say no. You see, sometimes we think, we, we think when we come to the word, Lord, you have to move me. You have to affirm me. Prove yourself to me again, God. But as you grow in your love of Christ, you begin to learn there's commands in which he's already given us to do. Joe and I already know God's placing us to reach these. I had one friend tell me who was Mexican. He said, God's using you that way because he would never, it would never work with a Mexican reaching him. He felt because of our different nations that we'll have favor. Maybe so, maybe not. Ultimately, it's God that brings forth these things. But we, we fall into this idea as, as we wrestle the Lord. You see what Joe, as, as he wrestled the Lord, there's that step of just stepping out in faith, and you have no idea you're guaranteed well you're guaranteed incredible things in Christ. It's not necessarily more days here on this earth. And so as we wrestle these things, there is the human side of, of understanding uh, our, our numbered days. Uh, but the reality is, is we all better wrestle this quick. I know there's one gentleman when I first started this work with you, Joe, he uh, well, his response was, well, that's a really stupid thing to do. Good way to go get yourself killed. Well, he passed away a few years ago, apart from Christ. And our perspective has to drastically change quickly to be effective in what Christ has for you. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, I want to step out in faith, but merely in the faith of understanding you, Lord, but then guarantee everything else. Faith, faith pleases our God. He, he, he loves this because it's complete dependence on him. That's where we must throw ourselves. And so on this street, when we're simply just brought to this point, it was plain as day to me. This, it wasn't an accident. The, the preaching was uh, ooh, mistakenly misunderstood. No, God intended something else, and he was directing it. And when he didn't say no, I already knew what he's told us to do. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to pray about encouraging somebody in the body of Christ. We don't have to wait for the Lord to demand and anoint or give us this presence of him to know the responsibilities and things he's already told us to do. Encourage the brethren. Pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Preach his word. The day of judgment is, is coming and 
And yet we get scared in different situations of workplace or, or community or whatever it may be. We, we don't want to offend. I, I understand. But, but yet there's times God does intend for these offenses, his truth to be boldly proclaimed. And so the obedience of getting out wasn't that God had to tell me what he's already told me to do. The question was, is will you get out of the van? And, and we did. And really, looking back on this evening, that's really the only time in which we had any means of making a different decision. And so we stepped out of the van, and chaos erupted. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't... It wasn't the friendly reception, <laughs> let's say, the, the previous time. Um, I, I could see that there was something different in the situation. They rushed towards us with lights flashing in our eyes. I have to be guided, guarded here with some of the things I say about the situation, but I could see there was there was a hostility this time. Obviously, there was something going on they didn't want us to know about. And before you knew it, they had me uh, against the car. You know, they were constantly telling us to to close our eyes and keep our mouths shut. And um, Travis uh, was next to me at first, but then they had him in the back of the car, right? They had you at the back of the car. Uh, the tendency at this point, you feel like peeking like a kid because you want to know what's going on. I, I felt uh, not the butt of a gun, but I could feel the gun of the guy behind me in my back. So naturally, I want to know what's going on, you know. And after a while, I couldn't, as, as much as I was trying to peek, I couldn't see Travis anymore. I couldn't see Travis anymore. One of the first thoughts that came into my head at that point was, I've killed Travis by, by <laughs> getting him out of the car. You know, I, I, I think it was just a temptation at the time because I don't think we should really think that way. Maybe something the devil was accusing me of at that, at that point. They asked me several questions, but I think that they were more interested in Travis because as you can see, he's broad-shouldered. That means that he has the physique of a soldier. And, and so they thought maybe he was doing something undercover here. Yeah, that night I was wearing, uh, I was wearing these boots. I had khakis. I always shave my head before I go down because it's hot and it's just, it's clean and easy. And they very much, they very much, they very much were very concerned about me. They, they, had, they had bound us at this time. We were separated. It was interesting because the question they kept asking me over and over and over is, well, why do you stop? Which is great because it gave you the, the opportunity to, well, to tell them. And I said, well, we, we have these tracks. We had been blessed with, with some chick tracks, and they're all assorted, so they're all different, which is something that's not really common a lot of times. Usually, usually when we're ministering, we have all the book of John or, or all the same track. And this evening, God, God brought it together in which we had piles of tracks that were all different, dealing with literally everything you can think of in Scripture, the realities of hell, the need of repentance, False religions, all kinds of stuff. They're they're really good. So I had these in my pocket. Of course, I you know I tell the guy, well, we're have some tracks to give you, and you know we're we're pastors, and we stop to warn you about the the, the, the coming judgment, the day of judgment that's coming. And they, they didn't believe me, and so a process of interrogation began. From where I was at, I was we're outside of of the van, 
I was towards the back. They, they kept us separated to question us individually. And, and out of anything, what really, really stood out to me was, was the fear they had. I had met others who work at the Punto and different things. I had never, even in all my years in Mexico, seen this kind of reaction. Usually, they're, they're fairly controlled. And they were controlled in the sense of controlling the situation, but there was, there was an absolute hysteria among them. Well, why did these guys stop? And so from there, they threw me in the back of a vehicle. And, and it's here in which a lot don't appreciate how many along the southern border with the human trafficking and everything that's taking place, a lot don't appreciate how many are, are being killed. How many are just being taken, being pushed into slave camps, being mass graves are, are common. And, and God opened up an opportunity in this back of the van. So I'm, I'm bound, my hands are behind my back. They bring me to one of their SUVs. And I'm allowed to open my eyes at this point. Now, that's kind of a loose thing to say because my eyes have been peaking the whole time except one occasion, but they allowed me to open my eyes at this time. And, and so I saw clearly there was a young man on the floor of this SUV, and he was, he was bound in the same way I was, his hands behind his back. And, and it was here that these guys in the, uh, took some time to, to toy with me for a bit. They, they wanted to intimidate me. And so I could feel the barrel at the back of my head. The guy on the other, other side of the, of the SUV uh, ensured I opened my eyes to see his, uh, his, his gun he had. And and so they're telling me, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to kill you, all, all kinds of stuff. They're just threatening me. But what specifically really stood out to me in this moment is, is this young man on the floor. He's probably early 20s. He looked up with the commotion. And it had to be a very peculiar thing because it's like, well, what's this goofy American accent guy being thrown on the seat above me? Because I was talking a bit to the guys that were, were throwing me in and and when he looked up, the guy immediately turned on him and put his gun in his face. And the desperate, hopeless cry that this young man made was, was quite depressing. And, and I wonder a lot about him in the sense of what was his upbringing? Was he in the church and, and went astray? Was, was he maybe just some guy that was coming back from the store because uh, mom wanted him to, to get some bread? Was he working in the organization? We have no idea. But it's in this time in which things calm down enough for me to, to speak. And it's fascinating because certainly in this kind of work and stuff, you do think about this kind of thing maybe happening. And, and you always wonder, wow, the Spirit will give me the words to say. And yet this was absent in this moment. I, I was, in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting hauled away. They're likely going to kill me. And they need to really understand why we're here. And so I began to just declare things about Christ. The need for the repentance of the coming day of judgment. That there's another road in which they can live. That there's eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. I'd say a sentence. It would erupt, erupt, screaming, yelling. I had... I had barrel in the back of my head and one in my forehead and 
and and others were beginning to join in and in, in, in the background and and they actually switched to English after a bit because I think they thought I didn't understand them but they're pretty much saying shut up we're gonna kill you shut up shut up shut up shut up and eventually they switched to English shut up you shut up and 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 so I'd say a sentence they they'd respond with the yelling and screaming and threats and, and then they'd calm down and and I'd have a moment of silence and as soon as they were silent again I oh, just threw something out and and it was peculiar to me as it was absent of of what I've experienced in the past you you get moments where man the Lord just gives you the words and you're going and this felt more forced in, in many ways but but yet we're declaring the truth of the word and and in retrospect even on this evening as I've wrestled some of these things and, and even I've continued to pray for this this young guy. It's something the Lord's pressed on me. Of those words weren't for the armed men. It was for the young guy on the floor. After a period of time, I was taken back out of the SUV and back to the outside of the vehicle, and and was in- interrogated more. We we don't know the exact timeline of of all these events, but Joe, go ahead and share. Maybe a twenty-minute, thirty-minute segment of where you were. Yeah, I um, I I didn't know what was happening to you, uh, you at all, brother. I really didn't know, you know. Um, so that that was in the back of my mind. But my my first concern—I must be honest with you—my first concern is I had my mother's car, and the car disappeared, and I it hadn't escalated at that point. So I, I kind of told a sub story, and I said, um, my. That my father died last year. That was his car, <laughs> but it didn't work. They just they just laughed about it. So. It's, it's a minivan. <laughs> it's a minivan from the nineties, Joe, or maybe yeah. early two thousand. It's it's two thousand two thousand yeah two thousand I think exactly yeah minivan. It's Toyota. Those things keep going, don't they? Yeah, but um, I realized when they put handcuffs on me that things were escalating. The car had gone. They took me to another car, and I was sitting in the back with this annoying little kid on one side and another guy with a big gun on the other side, and then two guys at the front that had had big guns. You know, I could see because I had to keep peeking. That the, the, the kid was kept telling me to shut up and close my eyes all the time. Think about that, though, a 10-year-old boy. I, I'm estimating about 10 years old with his dad. So what he does on a... On a uh, Friday night, wasn't it? Friday night. Yeah. And so they began to drive around. I told them previously that um, I, I ministered at the Punto. I ministered at the Punto, and um, I knew a guy there who'd been there for a while. Um, he's not working there anymore. He's left the Punto. And so they began to drive around and look for the Punto. And um, so we drove around for a, for a sustained period of time. They even looked for my mission. I told them uh, where my mission was. They couldn't find it. They took me to a Mormon church. And I and said, is this your church? I said, no, that's certainly not my church. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. So they obviously didn't know what they were doing. And so they kept driving me around. But you know what? What amazed me? I mean, this this is the strength of the Lord. He kept me sober at this point. I didn't sense any fear at this point. I didn't sense any fear. What was at the forefront of my mind? You were at the back of my mind, but the forefront of my mind, right, was this is it. 
this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. I get to speak to these guys, right? Usually I'm working with the lower end at the, at the Ponto. The, those, are the, those are the guys who do all the, just the dirty work for them, right? But here I am. This is a golden opportunity that you have given me. And it was frustrating because here is this little kid telling me to shut up, close my eyes. And then I think it might have been his dad at the front ends up being a Jehovah's Witness. And so he wants to get into a debate about me, with, about Scripture. <laughs> and he asked me where, what, what a verse was. He said, do you know this verse by heart? I knew, I knew the passage, but I didn't know the specific verse. And so he thought it was a bit of a phony because I didn't have this particular verse memorized. You know, so I was trying to speak to them, but I, I had all of this opposition at that time. Finally, we got close to the Ponto and they asked me to open my eyes and look up and said, are we close? And But uh, I said, yeah, just make a right here, you'll be at the Ponto, right? And so we went, we made the right, we pulled that, we, we passed the Ponto, we went down the street and we stopped in the car for a while. And what was amazing at this point, I, I, you know, I still didn't know what was happening with you at this point. What was amazing at this point is God gave me a moment of quiet to minister to minister. And these are the words that came to me is, I am not ashamed because this guy had been arguing with me about who God is. You know, they don't believe in such things, of course, as a Trinity in the Jehovah's Witness Church. And I said to them with the kid there, and he even he was quiet. I said, I'm not ashamed of my God. I'm not ashamed of my God. And I gave them a quick message. And for that moment, you could have heard a pin drop in that car. God had closed their mouth. That was the moment that I had to be able to witness to these guys. God had given me that moment. I didn't think I was going to get it, you know, but that was my biggest concern. Most people, I mean, in my natural mind, I would be concerned about my life. But I wanted to get them the word, the message. And I said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of my God. I'm not ashamed of him. I will stand with him. I will stand with him. And so I had that little moment, but they had talked who was working late that night, by the way. He wasn't supposed to be working that late. They worked long hours at the Punto selling their drugs. And he, he was working late that night. He recognized me. He said, yes, he's the pastor of the, the, the mission over there. We, we use, a, it's, it's a community center now. We use as a, as a, as a mission. And so God had already arranged all that beforehand, but he had given me this opportunity. And uh, when I got out the car, you know, I just rejoiced. I, I was handing out tracks to them. I had some more trick tracks. I was able to go. One of them didn't want them, but the rest of them did. They took that. And, and the amazing thing was, is, is before they were treating me like a dog and now they were treating me like a king. They were treating me like, because they realized I was a pastor and they had respect for, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? They had respect for that. They do have respect even for, for Catholic priests, for pastors in, in Mexico. They tend to have a bit more respect for them unless, you know, crossing the wrong way, right? But um, it was just amazing that we got that opportunity, you know. And, 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 and one of the greatest things, of course, is when I got to the point where we stopped there and I got out the car and they took my handcuffs off and I was free, I saw Travis standing right there. I saw Travis... And I saw my car too. <laughs> Everything was restored. It's an amazing thing. I don't say that. I'm not going to say that always happens. 
God may, God may have allowed us to graduate that night. Those things are in his hands. Those things are in his hands. Right, but I was amazed. You know, they were concerned. I couldn't find the wallet in the car at first. They told me, look in the glove compartment. Everything, everything, even my phone, everything that they had taken from me that night was restored. My mother's car, my, my wallet, my cell phone, and most importantly, my brother in Christ was standing there. And when I heard his story, when I heard his story, I was even more amazed because they were going to kill you, probably as both. I heard that later from, he believed that they would have killed us if we weren't identified that night. They might have killed us rather than keep driving me around. You know, and that's what they, they had in mind for you, especially that night. But praise God, it was a wonderful, this was an opportunity to preach the gospel. These guys don't get the gospel. They don't go into church. They're too afraid to, to go into a church. You have to get opportunities like this. You can't go looking for them. You don't know who they are. So you need opportunities like this. And this was just such a golden opportunity. You know, keep praying for these guys, by the way. Keep praying because they won't soon forget that night. Why did these guys, why did they get out of the car just to hand us these tracks? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? <laughs> 